Welcome, all you bikes and shields, to the Sport Shack from the Gold Coast, Australia. In the Sport Shack this week, we're going to talk about some of the sporting topics of the week and go back in time with some of our favourite sporting memories from the past, as well as the news and events, music and film, and lots more. And all from and with our great mate, Paul Tonner. We acknowledge the Ugambe people, past and present, the traditional custodians of this land, of the Gold Coast, we thank the Yogambe people for the opportunities to do this podcast on their land. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Sports Shack. I hope you are well and have had a great sporting week. Hi there, Glenn. Hey, Paul. You a bit fired up today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sure bloody am, mate. I sure bloody am. Yeah. It's been that sort of week, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I can relate to that. You yeah. Go, yeah, the last couple of weeks have been going and then... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Old Murphy's Law turns around and kicks you up the backside. Yeah. Oh. Uh, you just got to keep soldiering on, eh? That's right, yeah. Except the ups and downs and... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and good old para there in a real down. Yeah. They're my big slap of the week. Uh, Absolutely flogged by the Broncos last night. I didn't uh, even bother to watch it because I knew they'd get beat. Uh, yeah, so their season's over. Uh, they just had, you know, only got themselves to blame. <laughs> and also, like, yeah, their women's team, they're a bigger slap, really, because uh, they're, they were grand finalists last year as well. And they haven't won a game all season. Yeah. Uh, so big slap for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but a big, a clap, big clap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Matildas—they've had two great wins in the Women's World Cup. Here. Yeah, yeah, but a slap for me. Yeah. Are these politicians oh, yeah. and these people talking up? Oh, we'll have a public holiday, you know, when they win the final. Gosh, settle down. Yeah. They're only in the quarter. They're, they're, they haven't even made the final. They've just qualified for the quarterfinals. They've still got a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> They've got a really tough game. This, well, I think, yeah, they play today against France. Yeah. So it's going to be, you know, really, really tough match. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think they're just jumping the gun a bit. They're having a public holiday because the bloody team wins. <laughs> Yeah, they do it in a lot of countries, eh? Um, yeah. Yeah, like there were some countries, like when they've qualified for the World Cup, yeah. and it might be like the first time they've ever qualified, and yeah. I think Egypt, you know, it happened to Egypt, and they qualified for their first ever World Cup after years and years and years, and yeah, yeah they had a public holiday, I think. But, yeah, no, it does happen. Well, when they won the America's Cup, Bob Hawke didn't call the buddy. That's right. A, a public holiday? Yeah. No, he, well, he said um, any worker who sacks anyone today for being... Any boss who sacks anyone today for being late is a bum. Yeah, I'm not turning up as a yeah. bum. But, yeah. <laughs> but no, I think, it, I think it just becomes a habit. Mm. When something goes uh, to celebrate something, let's have a public holiday. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just get on the bandwagon, yeah. don't they? And, 
Yeah, but just settle, settle, settle. Uh, you know, like fair enough, maybe consider it if they win the whole thing. But jeez, we've got about another three or four games to go to do that. Uh, <laughs> like <laughs> against very tough teams. Yeah. So I think that hope they did not put the kiss of death on them. Uh, That's what an episode I want to have in the future: the kiss of death. Uh, uh, Phil Gould. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, commentators who put the kiss of death on their yeah. yeah, sporting when teams. The, yeah, when players go around or other people go around yeah, talking themselves up or the team up and then they get come crashing yeah, down. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. But another slaps the, the American women's football team. Yeah, yeah gosh. They... they they got um, eliminated in a penalty shootout against Sweden. And uh, they're, you know, they're red-hot favourites to win the whole thing. Because uh, they've won, I think, the last two World Cups. And I, th- uh, I think every single World Cup, women's football World Cup, they've made at least the semi-finals. But uh, gone! Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, be interesting to see who wins this year. Yeah, I think Japan... Yeah, they're going to be probably the favourite at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, you got any slaps or claps or... <laughs> well, you know what my slap is. But Too many I, slaps this week. But, but, but whether I actually put it on this podcast, yeah. maybe. But, <laughs> but I just basically say... <coughs> people using the opposite gender... As a excuse, mm. as what the so I'll start this again. Um, people using how the opposition, the, the the opposite sex look to start an argument, get yeah. over yourselves. Yeah, it's just unfair. Mm. Whether it's women, to, you know, no, talking exactly. about oh, how other women look. Accept yourself the way they are. Yeah. And don't, yeah. And same with men. They're looking for well, excuses. Yeah, just fucking. Mm. Oh, sorry for swearing, but just bloody. <laughs> walk straight into a bloody solid brick wall twice to that this week, and I thought, nah. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I've got my little chihuahua dog, and I think I'll just stick with her. Yeah, sometimes it's a lot safer, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I can understand why people have so many pets these days, you know. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we're going to talk about a subjective topic today. Now, Olivia came up with this topic, and yeah, I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, I'd, when she mentioned it, I had no idea what she was talking about until she explained it. It's uh, the topic of the subjective topic of nepotism in sport. Now, this refers to where there have been instances where some sports people appear to have been given preferential treatment or opportunities due to their family connections rather than their sporting qualifications or <laughs> skills. So it might involve involve a coach or selector favouring players from their own region or country or a team owner or manager 
hiring family members or friends for administrative positions or broadcasting roles. And it may also involve a player who is selected for a team based on their family connections rather than their performance on the field. So, yeah, can you think of any examples of nepotism in general, Glenn? <laughs> well, I can, but I don't think it was put in as a favour. Because mm. you know the story about Arnie Carroll. Yeah. Yeah. Not Former Australian women's netball coach. Yeah, and selector and, and yeah, trainer. Oh, that's a clap. The women's netball team, Aussie women's netball uh, team. They won the World Cup. Yeah. 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 But because um, her daughter, Leanne, had to... Um, she she put her in mm. a couple of games because someone else couldn't make it. Yeah, you know, was unable to play, so she just yeah asked her daughter Leanne to step in for a few games. Mm. But I don't think it was because of yeah nepotism. Yeah, yeah. it was just because it had to happen in a hurry and mm. and that yeah yeah. Now well. I've, when I think about it, yeah, definitely some examples in the work environment that I won't go into yeah. <laughs> over the years. But uh, yeah, that really rolled has really rolled me up the wrong way. Yeah, um, but just when when I've been coaching in, yeah, like this is going back oh early last decade. Sorry about stepping on your feet there. Uh, yeah, that yeah. way everyone else has this week, so you may as well. Well, when I was growing up, you know, playing in cricket teams and hockey teams, and you know, I remember that Lura hockey team I played in, and our coach, um, his son, but he was just a gun player, you know, uh, and he was by far our best player in the team, so... Uh, yeah, there was definitely no nepotism there, and uh, yeah, and, and in cricket teams I've played for, yeah, I can think of one instance um, where I can see there was, yeah, the coach and the manager were father and son, and they made the son of our team. This is the first rep team I played for, uh, um, captain of the team, and yeah, you know, he was a decent player, not a great player, uh, but. No idea of the captain. Um, yeah, but now when when I think about this is uh, about twenty eleven, coaching a Sunshine Coast Junior representative cricket team, and I remember I selected a player, and he had very little ability, like he's a bloody useless player, really. Um, but his father was the coach, the previous coach, uh. right? Who I was taking over. Uh, and he just had this strong personality and, uh, you know, from the moment I got there, he's, you know, in my face talking up how good his son was and, uh -huh. oh, gosh. Uh, uh, but he was, yeah, yeah, useless. And, um, yeah, so I ended up selecting him, you know, because I didn't want to, I just felt more comfortable that way at the time. Uh, uh, and, yeah, I feel bad, I felt bad about it, you know. Later on, because uh, yeah, yeah, there were a lot of other players in the team um, mm -hmm. who were a lot better <laughs> players, uh, you know, a lot more talented. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it was. 
I guess a learning thing for me, like a lot of parents were dissatisfied about the selection, which is rightly so. And yeah. yeah. So if I had my time again, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> no, you just pick your best team. Yeah. So, so what do you think if you, had, if you made that decision that you want to make, have made, how do you think that would have turned out? Uh, I don't think it would have made much difference really. Yeah, because, so when, when you're coaching around that age, like under 13th, yeah. and when you go to those state titles, it's more about, you know, and, and this was a thing with Sunshine Coast Cricket, um, it was more about giving each player in the squad a go rather yeah. than picking your best team yeah. for each game. Yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, they didn't really seem to be too interested in results. It was more about developing the players. Yeah. Yeah, which I didn't really agree with. Well, I agreed with developing them. Yeah. But, you know, when, when we go to those carnivals every year, well, a lot of the time we get flogged because we wouldn't put our best team on... Like, we were the only team who wouldn't select um, any players from the schoolboy teams. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's why we didn't win titles. Uh, yeah. So, but I remember when I was in primary school, my sports teacher, yeah, and I remember, oh, I just adored him. I was his pet, you know. And But I remember he didn't pick me for a school swimming team. But what I, but I just had a huge amount of respect for him. For yeah. make, you know, he had the, the guts to come up to me and explain why, and yeah. and I could understand why because I was a bloody useless swimmer. Yeah. You know, I wasn't good enough. Yeah. And I copped that on the chin, and yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, he's a former Vietnam veteran. Yeah, yeah. really popular guy mm-hmm. in the town I grew up in, and uh, he's still there today. Yeah. Um, yeah, but also, like in cricket, New South Wales cricketers getting preferential treatment. So there's, you know, many people say there's this belief that when a New South Wales cricketer is handed their baggy blue cap, they also get handed a baggy green cap at the same time. Uh, because, you know, from the other, a lot of people from the other states and even players, they think the New South Wales players get preferential treatment. Yeah. Um, getting selected to the Australian team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think that's so much the case, really. Yeah. Not so, well, definitely not now because you know, they've yeah. got the the most populated state, so obviously they're going to produce more yeah. quality players. Yeah, they've got the um, Australian Sports mm. Academy down in Canberra, which is basically a part of New South Wales. Yeah. It's its own little territory. Well, basically, New South Wales, I mean, um, the Australian bowling attack, attack, test bowling attack is a whole New South Wales. We're all New South Wales players. Yeah. Um, that's because they've got the, you know, the best bowlers. Yeah. yeah. Hazelwood, Cummins, Stark, Nathan Lyon. It's just the way it is. Yeah well, yeah, well, when you look back at Ricky Ponting, he was from Tasmania. Mm. And he ended up moving to um, New South Wales. Yeah, after he retired. Yeah, that was... Oh. Um, 
But see, yeah, a lot of players from New South Wales over the years, yeah, they've ended up going and playing for other states because they just can't yeah. get into the New South Wales team, yeah. get a regular spot. Like Adam Gilchrist, yeah. classic example. Yeah. Uh, Usman Kawaja. Yeah, they've all gone and played for other states. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, but there's one that I've mentioned in our previous episode. Yeah, Parramatta's current coach, Brad Arthur, um, and how he was selecting his son, Jake Arthur, in the team. And, oh, the amount of criticism <laughs> like, yeah, he'd get from Parramatta fans. Yeah. You know, oh, he's just picking that, you know, because I always thought, you know, Jake Arthur had very little ability. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he was just picking him because it was his son. And, yeah, and, no, but the, <laughs> they've... A few months ago, um, yeah, Jake Arthur, he ended up being um, signed by Manly halfway through the season. So yeah. they can't complain about that anymore. Ah. Yeah. But one thing Jake Arthur did, when Parramatta was getting thumped in that grand final last year against Penrith, he came on the field and scored a try. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but all in cricket, the Marsh brothers in cricket. Yeah, Sean and Mitchell Marsh. Um yeah, and former they're the sons of former Aussie test player and uh, vice-captain and former uh, Aussie coach Jeff Marsh. Uh, uh, there was always this belief, oh, yeah, Sean and Mitchell Marsh are just in the team because, yeah, you know, they've got connections. with. But, yeah, I don't agree with that. They're both talented players. I sort of maybe thought about that with um, maybe Mitchell there for a while. But, no, nah, he's uh, last couple of years especially and in the recent Ashes series he's really stepped up and yeah, yeah. really proven himself and yeah. but yeah this one definitely nepotism yeah. now former English cricket great Colin Cowdery now he played 114 test matches over 21 years a legend of the game um, however his son Chris Cowdery he only played Six test matches, which is, which is good. You know, play one test match, you're doing well. Yeah. And three one-day internationals. But he's, he's batting average in test cricket, 14.4. Uh, <laughs> the uh, only time uh, I can remember him playing a game was in a one-day game against Australia and he got a duck. Yeah. And um, his godfather, Peter May, was the chairman of Selectors. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, you know, around the mid-80s. Yeah. yeah, so his godfather was the chairman of selectors at the time. And, yeah, he selected uh, Chris Cowdery to be captain of the team yeah. and was accused of favouritism. Yeah. And in England lost the test match by 10 wickets and he was never selected again. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, you seem to think, oh, why the hell was he picked in the first place when, yeah. you know... England had a whole heap of better players. Yeah. But definitely this one's not nepotism. Stuart Broad, the son of former England player, well-known cricket official, Chris Broad. Yeah, so I think some people thought that when uh, Stuart was selected to play for England, England, that he certainly proved that wrong because uh, Stuart Broad, he's, amateur boxing he's just retired. And he's been one of the all-time greats of the game. 
Yeah, what, over 600 test wickets yeah. and you know, destroyed the Aussies on so many occasions in the Ashes. Just been an Ashes nemesis for Australia. And former NRL coach John Lang. Yeah, when coaching his son Martin Lang, who was a hard-running prop forward who was he would often get concussed all the time. Um, but, yeah, he coached him at Penrith and Cronulla. And, but, yeah, I remember there at one stage he was speaking out, you know, and was really upset, like, how his son was, you know, players were targeting him and how he was getting concussed all the time. But mm-hmm. you know, I don't think the players were deliberately knocking him out. It was just his... Uh, his running style, you know, Martin Lang's style. He would just run as hard as he could. and uh, Yeah. Anyway, we'll move on to the quiz now. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to do a little search. Yeah. Because um, uh, up at the um, the Sports Recovery Centre. Oh, I was there the other day. Oh, God, it was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> But Clay had a had a fight last night. Oh, did he? How did he go? I don't know. That's why I'm just about to do it. Right. See if we can do a Google search. Yeah. On see if we can um, bring up the results. Gold Coast Amateur Boxing Competition. Okay. Um, you go along with the quiz while <laughs> I try and read this. Okay. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Right, so we've got five multiple choice questions today. And they all relate to nepotism in sport. Right, so I'll read the question out first. I'll read it only once. And then I'll give the answer. Oh, we'll have our thinking music, won't we? Yeah, the thinking music's back. Oh, you left it here last week. Yeah. I went to go put it up my glasses on the next morning. I put them on and these don't look right. What's happened with my glasses? My side's <laughs> gone. Because ah. they're a splitting image of mine. Yeah. But definitely a different prescription. Yeah. <laughs> right, question one. What is the name of Shaquille O'Neal's son who failed to make the NBA draft However, ended up getting a six-figure deal in the developmental G League. Now, was it A, Sonny, B, Sharif, or C, Simon? It's quiz time. Oh, yeah, the wrong button. <laughs> That's a slap for me. And the answer is B, Sharif. Question two. What is the name of the former West Indies spin bowler who played five test matches for the West Indies and 24 ODIs between 2000 and 2002 and is the nephew of former West Indian greats Rowan Canai and Alvin Kalacharan? Now, is it A, Devendra Bishop? Have you heard of him, Glenn? No, <laughs> I don't sorry, think I sorry, have either. Uh, uh, yeah, the- B, Roger Harper, or C, Mahendra Nagamatu? And the answer is C, Mahendra Nagamatu. Right, he was a leg spinner, leg spinning all rounder. 
Now, from uh, Guyana. Now, question three. Mick Malthouse is a former AFL player who went on to have a distinguished career as an AFL coach guiding the West Coast Eagles to their first two premierships and also with Collingwood in 2010. What is the name of his daughter, who is a journalist and boundary writer in the AFL? Now, is it A, Christy, B, Cindy, or C, Jackie? And the answer is A, Christy. Question four. Steph and Seth are the sons of which former NBA basketball player who had 16 seasons in the NBA and retired as the Charlotte Hornets, all-time leader in points and three-point field goals. Now, is it A, Glenn Rice, B, Eddie Jones, or C, Del Curry? And the answer is C, Del Curry. Gee, I didn't know Eddie Jones played basketball as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Five. What is the name of the football great, Johan, Johan Cruyff's only son, who, while his father managed Barcelona, was able to play at two of the best youth setups in the world and who many believe that without the help of his father would not have made his Barcelona senior debut in 1994. Now, you've got to name the, name his son, Johan Cruyff's son. So is it A, Ronald Cruyff, B, Michael Cruyff, or C, Geordie Cruyff? And the answer is C, Geordie Cruyff. Right, it's up to our Who Am I? I'll find the button. <laughs> this week's Who Am I? Right, so it's a former international rugby league player and coach today. Right, so I was born in 1947 and I'm a former Australian international rugby league player and captain who was later selected as one of the initial four immortals of Australian Rugby League, and in 2008 was named in Australia's Team of the Century. Now, as a player, I won three premierships with the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles in the 1970s and represented my country on 35 occasions. I later had a distinguished coaching career, guiding Manly the two premierships and coached the Australian national team in 39 tests. Now, my son Scott made his first grade debut for Manly in 1993 and played 49 games for the club. However, when I retired, he was not selected to play for the club again. Scott is now the recruitment boss at the West Tigers. My other son, Brett, also played for Manly while I was coach playing two matches. I also went on to be a long-serving commentator on 2UE then 2GB with the continuous call team. And I passed away from cancer in 2021. My name is... Which will be revealed at the end of this episode. <laughs> okay. Certainly will. Okay. Yeah. 
Now I'm gonna. Oh no, you jumped the gun. I'm just going to talk briefly about some other subjective examples of nepotism in sport. Mm. Now, these guys I'd never heard of, but I have now. J.R. Smith and his brother Chris Smith. Now, according to Nicholas Qua in Vulture.com, in the NBA, New York Knicks fans are still complaining about Chris Smith, who is the younger brother of J.R. Smith, who played for several teams in the NBA. So mainly the Denver Nuggets, the Knicks, and he won two. Yeah, he won two NBA championships, one with the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2016, and the other with the LA Lakers just uh, in 2020, just recently. Now he's described as the heaviest tattooed player in the NBA. Do you think tattoos make people stand out, Glenn? Yeah. Yeah. Depends on how many they have. Mm. They have them, where are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, Richmond's great player. What's his name? Dusty Martin? Uh, yeah, gosh, he's got tats all over him. Uh, and, um, yeah, but he's a very good player. He's won oh, a couple of Brownlow medals and, yeah, uh, AFL premierships. Uh, now, Chris joined the New York Knicks alongside his brother, JR, in 2013-14 season and cost the team $2 million. However, only played two matches. Gee, expensive two games. Now, Zenadine Zidane and Enzo Fernandez. Now, the French football great Zidane named his son in homage to one of his favourite players, Uruguay's Enzo Rences... Rensescoli. And the Fernandez surname comes from his mother's side as Sedane did not want extra attention placed on his son, whose father was one of football's most famous players. Now, at two years of age, while his father was playing at Juventus, Enzo in the club's Enzo was in the club's age group sides already. And then he joined the Real Madrid Academy at nine years of age while his dad moved there to play and stayed at Madrid after his father's retirement. Now, in 2014, Enzo was promoted to Real Madrid Castilla, which coincided with his father's appointment as assistant coach of the side. Now, Zidane knocked back claims of nepotism and said, quote, he only plays because he deserves his place. It's hard, but he knows... In the locker room, he is just another player. I'm a little hard on him because I'm picky. <laughs> Physically, he's well ahead of me at the same age, but I know he can do better. End of quote. Now, when given the main coaching role in early 2016, he went on to make his son captain of the side. Enzo is now currently playing in the Spanish second division. Yeah, I remember... Um, Oh, I don't know, this is probably 15 years ago. I was watching the news and, yeah, this bloke, <laughs> he named his um, son after every single Brazilian player uh, from their winning 1970 World Cup team. Uh, <laughs> how many sons did he have? Oh, that was the one, one son, but he named him after all those names. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So that was... 
that would have been hard you'd, for the teacher during roll call. You'd, you'd be uh, there all day uh, saying hello to him. Yeah. Hello, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Now, in rugby league, now, Ivan and Nathan Cleary. Now, Ivan, who played in the NRL for Manly, I used to play cricket against Ivan Cleary yeah, on the northern beaches there. Um, yeah, he played for played in the NRL for Manly, had a distinguished career for Manly, North Sydney, Sydney Roosters and the New Zealand Warriors. And he's gone on to have a distinguished career as a coach and has coached the Penrith Panthers to the past two premierships. And his son Nathan, who plays halfback for the Panthers, is their main star player who represents New South Wales and Australia. Now, Andrew Prentice for the Daily Mail Australia reports that Ivan Cleary hit rock bottom with Penrith and considered quitting at one stage due to the pressure and guilt of coaching his son. Now, this was especially the case in 2019 when the Panthers only won two of their first 10 games. And they've gone, they've gone damn well ever since then. <laughs> yeah. But, um, well, you know, Nathan Cleary is a great player, but, geez, yeah. At the moment, I just, I just think he's a great club player. Until he steps up and, you know, shows it in origin, yeah, I won't really rate him as one of the greats. Mm-hmm. He needs to step up in origin because he, uh, a lot of times, he uh, doesn't play his best game in, when it comes to origin, unfortunately. There's been a lot of players like that over the years. Now, in cricket, I can think of you know, you know, Roger Binney, the great Indian player in the 1980s, and Stuart Binney, his son, who you know, only played a couple of test matches, and the great Sunil Gavaskar and Rowan Gavaskar, his son, and Yasbal Sharma, he played for India in the 70s and 80s, and, and his son, I think it was yeah, his, Chetan Sharma, yeah, I don't think it was his son. It might have been his uh, brother or nephew. Yeah, Chetan Sharma. He was a pretty average pace bowler for yeah. India. He had a very weird action. Yeah. yeah. And the great Pakistan batsman, Inzaman Ul-Huk. He's a guy who, in that episode about spectator blow-ups, he <laughs> went into the stand with his bat and attacked all those Indian spectators. Uh, yeah. Now, he's... he's uh, I think it's his son, Iman Ul-Haq. Yeah, he opens the batting for Penrith, uh, for Pakistan, sorry. Yeah, but nowhere near as successful as Inzaman, but decent player. But I just thought about this one. Now, the Chapel brothers. So Ian and Greg Chapel, you know, two of the, the greats of Aussie cricket, you know, especially in the... 70s uh-huh. and but yeah their the younger brother Trevor now he didn't he didn't play as many games as I did definitely you know, he didn't captain his country and but he got picked to play you know in the one day some one day games in the early 80s for Australia but he went on the 81 Ashes tour ahead of uh, you know the great Dougie Walters who was at the end of his career but still playing uh-huh. very well for Australia and, yeah, you know, Trevor Chappell didn't do much on that Ashes tour. 
And if you know if Dougie Walters had been there, well, you never know; they might have won the series. So, mm. yeah, there was a lot of. Uh, I remember there was a lot of controversy about that at the time, with Dougie Walters being left out of that um, Ashes tour. Uh, yeah. What? What? Wasn't there a third War brother? Yeah, there's Steve War, Mark War, uh, Dean War, and there's another brother. Link yeah. Dean Dean didn't play for New South Wales, but he was you know pretty good grade cricketer. Yeah. yeah. I think the other brother is called Danny. I think. Yeah. yeah. But um, no, that definitely you know with the Chapel brothers. Yeah, I yeah. just couldn't. Well, see, they Ian, the Chapel brothers, they were the the grandchild. The grandson of the great um, Victor Richardson, who played for Australia, you know, in the early 1930s. He was vice captain for Australia, you know, in the body line series of 1932-33. Yeah. Yeah, but there's definitely no nepotism with those two being picked, because well, mm-hmm. definitely Greg Chappell, you yeah. know. Yeah. Many people still say he's Australia's greatest ever batsman after Bradman. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we'll move on to our Where Are They Now? Here we go. Where are they now? So this week, we're going to back to the world of football. Yeah, so, well, mainly English football. And this is one of the greats of the game. Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, what do you think of sporting agents, Glenn? Yeah, I suppose. Do you think they're needed? Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about this. This where are they now today? When it comes to yeah, well-known sports people, you need a manager. Yep. Yeah, not only for yeah dealing with contracts with the teams, but also um, other yeah like product endorsements and. And stuff like that so it's mm. yeah just like having a, a, an agent for a, a musician or a singer yeah yeah they're just yeah I guess it saves the players a lot of time and yeah you know, I don't think they're going to sit down and read pages and pages of contracts yeah and, yeah and just have someone yeah because agents work off a certain percentage mm so maybe 10, 15, or 20, or yeah, even sometimes above. Yeah. So, you know, so if, if you know, they're able to handle you know, the contracts and get the best price for their their, their client, so mm. if they get a good price, they make more money. Yeah, I think, yeah, I guess they're pretty skilled in that area, aren't they? Yeah. You know, playing the field and. Like, there's some players who just ugh, take ages to sign a contract, you know, like with Mitchell Moses with Parramatta. That yeah. just went on and on and yeah. on and on and on. Yeah. But I guess that was a lot of the work of his manager at the time, just playing with uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, sometimes they, the manager suggests to hold off for a while you know, mm. to try and get a better deal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, so Sir Alex Ferguson, he was born in Govan, Scotland, 
which is near Glasgow on New Year's Eve, 1941. Oh, I went to Glasgow once. Yeah. It's a pretty dull place. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this was the middle of summer there. And even uh, oh, the weather was ordinary. Like uh, It was like colder than our winter. Yeah. And I don't th- think I saw one speck of sun. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he's a former football manager and player and is best known for managing Manchester United from 1986 to 2013 and was responsible for making the club one of the richest and most successful clubs in the world. Now, according to Wikipedia, Ferguson is considered one of the greatest football managers of all time and he's won more trophies than any other manager in football history. Now, Ferguson began his football career with Harmony Row Boys Club. Now, they're a Govan team. And then progressed to, to play for Drum Chapel Amateurs, which had a great reputation of producing senior players. And then he played for St. Johnston and then made his professional club debut for Dunfermline Athletic in 1964. But see, his father wasn't that keen on him becoming a footballer unless he had something else to fall back on. So his father made him do this apprenticeship, a toolmaker apprenticeship. He was a toolmaker. And, uh, yeah, and it, he, would, he wouldn't finish work till like one thirty in the morning and then he'd have to be up at 6am in the morning and uh. train and, you know, with the oh. club. and Yeah, but he was, Alex Ferguson, he was a, a big Rangers fan. So Rangers and Celtic, they're the two big powerhouse clubs over there. And and when he was picked to play in his first professional game, it was against Rangers. And he got his um, girlfriend to make up an, an excuse <laughs> for uh, why he couldn't play. <laughs> yeah, like pretend it was his um, sister's voice or his mum's voice, you know, saying, oh, no, no, he's can't make this game but he ended up playing and he he's glad that he did and one thing um alex ferguson um talks about is always grabbing opportunities that come your way uh, yeah and that's so true in life isn't it yeah so ferguson performed well for dunfermline scoring 66 goals from 98 games and was then signed by Rangers for sixty-five thousand pounds in nineteen sixty-seven. So that was a lot of money back in those days. Now this was a record transfer between Scottish clubs at the time. Now from nineteen sixty-nine to nineteen seventy-three, he played for Falkirk, and some of that time was playing as a player manager. Now Ferguson ended his playing career at Air United in nineteen seventy-four. Now, Ferguson began his managerial career at 32 years of age with East Stirlingshire, and that was in a part-time role for only £40 a week and was gaining a reputation as a strict disciplinarian. Yeah, so even when he was playing, he had this growing interest in being a manager. Yeah, and that's, I guess, you know, why he um, got into it at such an early age. Now, St. Mirren were impressed with this when they signed him. And between 1974 and 1978, Ferguson transformed the club, taking them from the lower half of the second division to first in the 
yeah, to first division league champions. So yeah, he's made a big difference there. And the younger players, they thrived under his rule. Now, in 1978, he took over the managerial role at Aberdeen. And it is here he gained the nickname Furious Fergie from the players. Ferguson's authoritarian style worked for the club. And they were a real power in the early 1980s with league and cup victories and became only the third Scottish club to win a European trophy when they won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1983. That's a massive achievement, you know, because they're just this small town on the coast, you know, of Scotland there. And they were beating, like, these powerhouse teams in Europe. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, Bayern Munich, and I think they beat AC Milan, and, yeah. Mm. And I think, yeah, they won, like, three... Scottish titles in a row. Uh, what type of coach do you think works best, Glenn? Like authoritarian coach or a nice guy coach or a bit of a mixture? Yeah, a bit of a mixture. Yeah, it's yeah. about everybody. Yeah, to get, to get them working as a team instead of individuals and, mm. and that. But yeah, I, I, I really don't like this. Yeah, second coaches halfway through. Um, the season, but it, it worked for the Gold Coast Suns this year when, well, last weekend they you know, annihilated. Mm. About the, they got rid of Stuart Jew, who'd been there for a long time, eh? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but so coaches have got to do it. This, you know, they they can't really do the real full on authoritarian like yeah. these days. Like, you know, when you like with Wayne Bennett. Like, he said that's the biggest difference in coaching today compared to yeah. when he was first, you yeah. know, coaching NRL teams. And, yeah. yeah, you just cannot get away now with what you used to get away with back then coaching a team. Yeah. Like, you could not have a go at a player now. Like, where back then you could rip into them yeah. and bloody tear strips off them um, and call them this, call them that. Yeah. If you did that now, gosh, yeah, he'd be up. Yeah, <laughs> he'd yeah. just about be charged. Yeah, yeah well, my, um, my only Carol was like that. Mm. There, she was coaching the New South Wales team and there was a new player. And she turned up late for the first training session. And only Carol said, yeah, um, you got to be here. Oh, this was the Indigenous player, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And then from every session after that, she'd get the early on, <laughs> on the fence and, and be inside the court before before she got there. Yeah. Well, I think probably the most successful coach in the NRL after Wayne Bennett, Craig Bellamy, has had so much huge success with the Melbourne Storm. Yeah. He's been there for over 20 years now. Um, he's a mixture because... He'll rip into his players at half time and you know, rant and rave. And but away, once the game sort of finishes, and away, like he's really laid back with the players and jokes with them. And yeah, I think that's the best approach to have the ones who seem to get the best success. Now, Ferguson received an OBE, Order of the British Empire, in 1984 and in 1986 became the manager 
but Manchester United. Now, his first three seasons in charge of the famous club did not go the plan, winning no trophies at all. And, yeah, some claim that in 1990, he was just one loss away from getting the sack. However, later that season, Manchester United went on to win the FA Cup and he would go on to have an incredible success with the club with two Champions League titles, 13 Premier League titles, five FA Cups, four League Cups, and one European Cup Winners' Cup. So, yeah, they were lucky he won that match that day, 1990, because uh. <laughs> that might not, never have happened. Now, Ferguson plays, yeah, he placed a great emphasis on valuing youth during his time with Manchester United, particularly what was called the Class of 92, or Fergie's Fledglings such as players like David Beckham, Ryan Giggs, Gary Neville, Nicky Butt, where he recruited a group of young players. And this group of young players went on to make the club one of the wealthiest and successful clubs in the world. And it was similar to uh, Busby's Babes in the 1950s. And we spoke briefly about that in a previous episode. Yeah, they were the, um, the players, Manchester United players. Remember that plane crash? We were talking about in uh, they were going to play a game in Germany, and yeah, when I think it was yeah they played the game they were coming back and they'd just flown out of the airport. The plane crashed, you know, about three quarters of the uh, the team died, and yeah, it was very very sad. Um, and a lot of the players who perished in that plane crash were the yeah part of the the Busby's babes because mm. Busby was. You know, Bus- the guy, Busby, I forget his first name now, but he was the coach at the time. Now, Ferguson had the ability to build successful squads blending homegrown talent with international superstar players. Now, it was success and trophies year after year under Ferguson's time in charge of the club. Even when great players such as David Beckham left, Ferguson was always confident the team would su- succeed. Now, yeah, yeah, he was a real fiery coach, Alex Ferguson. Mm. I remember um, yeah, hearing about this, and it's a true story. Um, yeah, when he was coaching Manchester United one time, and you know, they'd been playing really bad in the first half, and half time comes around. And he's fuming, like he's like the guns are never own coming in. And he gets this shoe and throws it at David Beckham and whacks David Beckham uh, in the face. And yeah, uh, cuts him and he's bleeding everywhere. And yeah, and yeah, the two nearly came to blows, apparently. Hmm. Um, but geez, he used to get results though. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Ferguson retired in May 2013. Now, during his career as a manager, he picked up an incredible total of 49 major trophies. Bless my soul. 24 players during his time with United graduated through the United Academy and went on to play for some of the great clubs in Europe. Ferguson also had a record for the number of wins in a Premier League season. So there was 28 wins in 1999-2000. 
And in 2006-07, it was 28 wins as well. And also, again, in 2008-2009, 28 wins. They, they play 36 games in the Premier League season. So work that out as a percentage. What's that? Uh, 28 over 36. 28 What percentage? That'd be at least 85%, maybe? 80%? Yeah. yeah. In 2002, Ferguson was one of the inaugural managerial inductees to the National Football Museum Hall of Fame. And even after this, he went on to win another 17 trophies with Manchester United. Right, so we'll talk about the nepotism now. Now, during his illustrious career, Ferguson has unfortunately gained a reputation for promoting the interests of fellow family members and fellow Scots. Now, a claim Fergie flatly denies. Now, according to the BleacherReport.com, in 2010, Ferguson saw um, Everton manager David Moyes as the man to take over from him as the manager of Manchester United. However, Ferguson recommended a fellow Glaswegian. Now, Ferguson refused to speak to the BBC after it broadcast a documentary in 2004 called Fergie and Son about the potentially compromising relationship between his son Jason's agency elite and the club. So he's a, he's a talent scout. Yeah, his son Jason. Now, the documentary mentioned that six members of the Man United elite and, the, and Jason's signed first-team squad was allowed easy access to the players. So Jason was allowed easy access his, with his company to Man United players. Now, Ferguson had previously distrusted agents, but all of a sudden, because he, he got his son involved, he trusted them again. Now, what... Yeah... I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that should be allowed. Now, I just think sometimes, yeah, in those sort of cases, they just get in the way. Now, former player Ashley Dodd even said that agents would have to make an appointment if they wanted to come to the ground and talk to players. However, Jason was allowed to see the players whenever he wanted to. And in 1989, Fergus, this is what Ferguson... Sir Alex Ferguson said about agents. He said, quote, I don't understand why top players want agents. In transfer discussions, you are not going to offer top players a pittance. So why does he have to be involved with extra people? End of quote. Now, in 2001, Ferguson even threatened to terminate Jonathan um, Greening and Mark Wilson's transfer the Middlesbrough unless they dropped their existing agent and decided to go with Jason. Now, according to The Independent, the documentary had portrayed Jason as someone who exploited his father's influence and position to his own ends in the transfer market. The Independent also made it clear in the newspaper article that Jason was never found to be guilty of any wrongdoing. Now, due to the new Premier League rules brought in during the 2010-11 season, Ferguson was required to end his BBC boycott, which he refused to do. And Manchester United offered to pay his fines even. However, no fines resulted when Ferguson sat down with the BBC management and agreed to end his seven-year boycott. Gosh, I wonder how long this um, 
You know, in, in the NRL, this uh, uh, boycott is going to go on for, you know, with the players. You know, how, how they're having the, the, um, the players' union is having this war with the NRL at the moment and they won't allow any of the NRL players to talk to the media. Uh. Gosh. <laughs> you know, all they need to do and just like do what Sir Alex Ferguson did to his credit is just sit down and work something out, you know, talk it over. You know, nothing's going to happen until they actually get together and discuss things. Now, Ferguson's other son, Darren, made 27 appearances for the firsts for Manchester United and won a league title with them. Darren was considered to not be good enough to play for another club in the top division and played out the rest of his season for lower league club Wrexham. Is Wrexham the club that um, we spoke about in that episode, you know, with the dog? I was going to look that up, actually. Can I borrow that for a sec? <laughs> Wrexham. <laughs> Wrexham, yeah. Yeah, the one who's... Um, they got saved by relegation because a dog came onto the field and... <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, a dog, a dog attacked um, one okay. of the players. Okay, so, so, yeah. so, so we're going to do a Google search on it. Yeah, Wrexham. W-R... Wrexham. Wrexham will play AFC Wimbledon tomorrow at midnight. That's a right. Yeah. Yeah. What about Wrexham um, dog attack? Wrexham dog attack. <laughs> What's got there in the writing? Yeah, it happened in 1986 from memory. Uh, yeah. Oh, but that was an interesting story, though. Because <laughs> that, you know, the, the spectators were getting restless. Um, yeah, the guard dog attacked uh, one of the players when he went to go get the ball from the sideline and uh, throw it in. Yeah, and it, it saved them time, and then they ended up scoring a goal in extra time. Yeah, saved them from relegation. And that, apparently, if they didn't win that game, they would have, um, yeah, the club, they reckon for sure the club wouldn't exist today. Yeah. Right, so, uh, Alex Ferguson's brother, Martin, was also made Manchester United's chief talent scout. Now, after the BBC documentary in 2004, the Manchester United board pledged not to do business with Jason Ferguson again, who at the time was representing around 13 Manchester United players. Now, there was evidence that Elite had been paid £237,000 for helping with contract negotiations. United then decided to impose stricter rules and limits on appointing agents and what they paid them. Now, apparently when Sir Alex Ferguson decides he is going to let his son take his pick of upcoming talent, no one at Manchester United was going to argue with him, given the tremendous success Ferguson had as manager with Manchester United. And it's likely the board of the club tended to overlook his 
nepotistic tendencies as well. Now, former Scottish midfielder Darren Fletcher, who played for Manchester United and had previously struggled to make the firsts, even admitted that some called him the son or grandson of Ferguson. Fletcher said, quote, He is just one of those guys who is very patriotic about Scotland. Any Scottish team, any Scottish sportsman. End of quote. Yeah, gosh, I wish um, Scotland would become... <laughs> like, they had that referendum about 10 years ago and, you know, to be a separate country and break away from the UK. But uh, I don't know. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Because, yeah, even uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, his real patriotic Scot as they come, he even voted to stay with, um, you know, part of the UK. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, so if he decides, if he thinks that, I don't think it will ever happen, unfortunately. But, yeah, former Manchester United, great, Roy Keane, captain the side under Ferguson's manage, management, winning nine major trophies in his time as captain. Keane has had a long-standing feud with Ferguson since his retirement in 2005, accusing Ferguson of deserting him before he departed the club. Keane also questioned Ferguson's man management skills. He expressed his displeasure in the way fellow players and dedicated Manchester United servants, Brian Robson and Steve Bruce, were forced out of the club. Keane also suggested that Ferguson provided undue opportunities to family members, especially son Darren. Keane said in The Independent in 2019, quote, People said Ferguson always had the best interests of Manchester United at heart. Darren Ferguson won a medal. He was very lucky. His brother was the chief scout for Manchester United for a long time. I'm surprised his wife wasn't involved in the staff somewhere. End of quote. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, he didn't miss there, did he? Uh. Yeah, and that feud still goes on today. Now, Darren Ferguson is credited for stepping out of his father's formidable shadow when he retired from professional football. He had a successful managerial stint at Petersburgh United, helping the club gain promotion to Division One in only his second season in charge. He also picked up Manchester United prospects Tom Chester and Ben Amos. He then went on to be manager at Preston North End and the team was bolstered by the aerial, by the arrival of a couple of talented Manchester United players on loan, such as Danny Welbeck and Matt James. And he also had a managerial stint at Doncaster Rovers. Now, when Ferguson retired, he became the only manager to win the top league honours in the double in both England and Scotland. So that's with Premier League with Manchester United, and in Scotland with Aberdeen. Now, he's also the last manager to win the Scottish League Championship with a non-Glasgow team, a feat he achieved with Aberdeen in 1984-85. And Ferguson is the second most successful manager in European football competitions after Carlo Ancelotti. He's the, an Italian manager who is currently manager of Real Madrid and the most successful manager in UEFA Champions League history. 
Now, Ferguson is also the first manager in English league history to win three consecutive titles. Rafidi did twice. He also won 10 Manager of the Year awards. So let's look at what Sir Alex Ferguson's doing now. He's now 81 years of age, and he lives in Wilpslow, Cheshire, in England, with his wife Kathy, who he married way back in 1966. They have three sons, Mark and twins Darren, and Jason. Yeah, so Jason directed the 2021 documentary, Sir Alex Ferguson, Never Give In, which is a doco about his famous father. Now, Darren Ferguson is now in his fourth stint as manager of Petersborough United, who are still in League One. Now, so Sir Alex now has a standard Old Trafford named in his honour and has his statue of himself outside the ground. He's also the vice president of the National Football Museum. And Ferguson is also an, he has an ambassadorial role at Manchester United and does public speaking and charity engage, engagements. And he's also a long-term patron of the team. He played for us a child, Harmony Rowe and was able to help provide new facilities for the team. So that's great. He's given back to, you know, his roots, uh, where it all started for him. That's right. Yeah. Now, Ferguson is also a member of the executive committee of the League Managers Association. Now, Ferguson underwent emergency surgery at Salford Royal Hospital in May 2018 after having a brain hemorrhage and recovered from the surgery, thankfully. Now, according to Max Matthews in the Daily Mail, Jason Ferguson speaks about the harrowing process of calling the ambulance after his father collapsed at home. The moment is mentioned in the documentary and reveals that Ferguson feared losing his memory as a consequence of the hemorrhage, and this is what inspired Jason to make the documentary. Jason opens up and talks about the emotional toll of finding out how serious a condition his father was in. Jason stated that making the film could have served to help him overcome the psychological difficulties of the traumatic event. It also made him think about mortality. Now, the documentary features Sir Alex playing a managerial career, especially his tremendous success at Manchester United and more than has more than 550 hours worth of material that was gathered for the film. Now, Sir Alex Ferguson returned to Old Trafford, so that's the home ground of Manchester United, in September 2018, and was given a magnificent ovation from the Manchester United supporters. And that's a story of the great Sir Alex Ferguson. <laughs> and Glenn's having a good time <laughs> texting. <laughs> He's in love. Yeah. Rightio, we'll reveal this week's answer to who am I? And the answer is the great Bob Fulton. Right, hit us with a joke, Glenn. Okay. We missed out last week. We were too busy partying. Okay, okay. Um... There's this guy, he, he works as a diver on Oryx, so he's, he's away for about three quarters of the year. Six weeks working, he, and he comes home for two weeks. So this time he came home and he'd been dying for pizza. 
See, his wife is at work, so you order the pizza. Just to realise he's got no money. See, the pizza guy arrives and he goes, just, just, wait there, I'll, I'll get the money. So he goes into the bedroom and he checks his bedside drawer. No money there, so I'll go and see if my wife's got any in her drawer. Yep. Opens up her drawer and there's three eggs and the wad of cash. Yeah. So he takes the money and gives it to the pizza guy and you know, he goes and eats his pizza. When his wife comes home, he says to her, told what he's done uh, and asked, why are there three eggs in your top bedside drawer? And she goes, oh, well, every time I challenge you, I put an egg in the drawer. And she, he goes, oh, three eggs over the last 30 years. That's not, that, that's not too bad considering I'm away most of the year and it must be lonely for you. Yeah, that's okay, I understand. He, 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 and he said, where did you get the water cash from? And she goes, but there is, and she says, every time I get a dozen, I sell them. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's a good one. <laughs> right. One of your best. Well done. Now, I was thinking uh, next episode, we touched on it a little bit today. It's coming up to, now this is a day that's often ignored, doesn't get the respect that it deserves. Vietnam Veterans Day. Mm. I was thinking we'll have a Vietnam Veterans Day special. So yeah. we'll talk about some sports people who served in the Vietnam War. Yeah. So what, what, what do you think of the Vietnam War, Glenn? What first comes to mind for you? Um, yeah. Vietnam War. Um, you've got me off guard there. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know. I've worked with a couple of guys that were in the Vietnam War. They're Vietnam vets. That was in mm. the past. But, yeah, like many other wars, I really don't know much about it. Yeah. Who invaded them or... Well, or, basically, it didn't achieve anything. You know, yeah. like, um, you know, America was there for... so many years it was over a decade Mm. and yeah the you know it was basically the first war that they lost basically it was against the communists the Viet Viet Cong yeah and the reason Australia went you know we had this strong alliance to America but it was you know here in Australia back at that time they feared what was called the domino effect so they thought if you know Vietnam fell to the communists, um, the rest of Southeast Asia would just fall like dominoes, like you know to communism. But no, that never eventuated. So anyway, we'll talk a bit more about the Vietnam War next episode and pay our respects to the soldiers who fought in that war. There's been some great movies about the Vietnam War over the years. Yeah, I was just thinking of that one with mm. Robin Williams when he was a, oh, a yeah. radio announcer. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Vietnam. Good morning, Vietnam. 
great movie. And born on the 4th of July and Platoon. And uh, I think Full Metal Jacket, that was on the uh, based on the Vietnam War too, I think. Yeah. Anyway, look forward to doing that one. And we've got the Pacific Air Show here next weekend. Uh, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. It's the biggest air show ever in Australia. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have planes flying all above our head. Well, that, that, there was a few up this morning. Was there? But I'll tell you what, it, 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 it must be really big because they've got the entire, most of the surface paradise esplanade, the road yeah. along the beach, closed. Well, they're taken off from about five airports, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah around Brisbane and the Gold Coast. And, and there won't be just a couple of planes this time next week. There'll be whoosh, yeah. zoom, zoom. Yeah. <laughs> be like we're being invaded. But, but I remember um, in, in May they have the Australian Fireworks Championships. That's right, yeah. And, and I didn't get to it this year. And, and, and there was one year that, um, that the clouds were low. Yeah. Because to, be, to begin the show, they have parachute jumpers jump out of the plane mm. you know, with fireworks on their, on their feet. Just... Uh, to start the show, the, the, this particular year the clouds were low, so the plane had to fly low. And I remember watching it, and it came right near and halfway down yeah. the Seoul building. Oh yeah! I thought whoever was looking at the building at that time probably would have shit shit themselves. Bloody oh! Seeing this big heck of this plane go past. Oh, <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. yeah. No, well, uh, I'm going to try and Shanghai Olivia and take her to it. <laughs> no, I don't want to go to that, no. Anyway, I'll try. I managed to take her to the Crystal Garden last weekend. Yeah. See that crystal on the ba- on my windowsill there, Glenn? Yeah. You know what that symbolises? What love. How'd you know that? I've got lots of them. <laughs> But no one loves me. Well, I'm hoping it changes my luck. And this uh, bracelet here, that symbolises discipline. Because I need more discipline in my life. Discipline, yeah. What's that one you got? Well, this is a magnetic one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. um, It's to help the blood. But, yeah, I've got... Put the phone down, Glenn. (laughs) He's destructed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've got quite a few stones and that, crystals and that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I've got a bag full of um, uh, stones there. So is that onyx? I forget. <laughs> I, think, I, I think it is. I just got it because it was the cheapest one. Oh. <laughs> Cheap, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Livy will be able to tell me next week. Yeah. She she knows a lot about it. Yeah. Anyway. Rightio. So I'm off to the Blue Mountains tomorrow. Yeah. Yep. I got the woolies packed. <laughs> yeah. So I'll fill you in about it next episode. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sports Shack. 
and sources for this page, for this episode, are on the platform page. So it's a goodbye from Paul. It's a goodbye from Glenn. Goodbye.